0: Join the Geek Therapy Discord server and talk to cool people about cool things. You can join us at geektherapy.com slash discord. Welcome to GTU Radio on the Geek Therapy Network. Geek Therapy was founded on the idea that the best way to understand each other and ourselves is through the things that we care about. And today we're going to talk about a group of people who really, really care about Twilight. My name is Oswey Cardona, and I'm joined by Brandon Saxton. Hello, Lara Taylor. Hey. And Lauren Keller. Hi. We got the whole gang together for the first time this season. Woo! Mm-hmm. Yeah, dream team, dream team. Uh, so recently, it was announced that Robert Pattinson is going to play Bruce Wayne in the next Batman movie.
1: I can see it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a younger Batman, right? He's, got, so- he's got
1: the he's got the chin it's got a solid that's the most important solid part.
2: jawline
0: <laughs> and like most people probably i know him as edward cullen from the twilight movies so just like all the talk of it i was like huh maybe i should go back and watch twilight and, my, and I, I remember i was talking to my mom and she was like i love the twilight movies i want to watch them again what are they on i was like i think they're on hulu so I started watching him the other day, and maybe that's why YouTube read my mind or listened to me through a microphone or whatever <laughs> it is that Google does and recommended a documentary to me on YouTube called Twilight Forever. And it was actually, the, the way I saw the link, it said, how Twilight saved a small town. So I was like, I want to know how Twilight saved a small town. And it's a 26-minute documentary from fandom, and... I, th- I thought it was pretty great. So I wanted us to to talk about it because it is it is a geek therapy-ass video. So what do you all think of of that video? Uh, any of you that watched it, what are some thoughts that came up? Any any ideas why uh, I thought it was great and I wanted to talk about it? I have several. The first being, I mean, it,
3: it, like you said, it it's the encapsulation of geek therapy, right? This is a group of people who cared so much about a common piece of media that it led to the facilitation of a community of people and an annual event of this group of people that has this shared interest and shared lexicon and have all bonded over something that like the film gets into. And I'm sure we will was not universally enjoyed. So I thought it was really cool to see this group of people come together and really form these very meaningful connections with one another over twilight i thought it was great
2: i thought it was really cool um i am coming from the perspective of being one of those jerks who shat on twilight when it first started getting really popular jerk now i i am gonna i'm gonna try and (laughs) cover my myself a little bit there where um i did actually go and read all of the books and see at least some of the movies but I was definitely like, oh, you know, this is just, like, real mediocre. I don't get why it's so popular. Like, snob, snob, snobbishness. And it wasn't until a couple of years later that I sort of started looking at that more closely. And and it is something that they talk about in the documentary is where it it ends up sort of being less like people were upset about Twilight so much as people don't like teen girls and they don't like anything that teen girls like and sort of recognizing the um the way that people utilized f- feminist critiques against the the books and the movies but it was really more sort of internalized misogyny than useful critique but yeah i I, th- I thought that the documentary was really cool and it it recontextualized a lot of my own reflections over you know twilight and twilight fans and um it was it was really cool to see that basically this this town that is only like vaguely tangentially related to the books and movies series has taken an opportunity of people's like passion and desire to to participate in their fandom and they were like, Wait, we can utilize this to help our entire community. And I think that's like dope as hell.
1: Lawrence was a jerk Jerk face
2: <laughs> I mean mostly Mostly it was me being like Oh my gosh Stephanie Meyer used the wrong motes And she used the M-O-A-T-S Instead of M-O-T-E-S What a dummy <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah I realize I was a little shit <laughs> Well
1: thank you for, for Realizing that I'm coming From the perspective of a Twihard hard. <laughs> <laughs> nice I'm not that, I have not gone to Forks. I don't see myself, not yet. I don't see myself (laughs) going to Forks. Maybe, maybe someday in the future. I don't know. I I feel like I got enough uh, community out of going to the midnight showings back when they were like midnight showings rather than like 7 (laughs) p.m. on the day of, uh, the day before. I love Twilight. I get a lot of crap about it from most of my friends, uh, <laughs> and my wife, which is funny because I dragged her to the last couple movies. I liked the documentary. I liked how, at the beginning of the documentary, I was feeling like, okay, some of these people are like legit going too far, like it's too <laughs> far, and they're gonna destroy the city, the the town. Uh, like they just bombard everybody come in and they're not prepared. But I liked how the view shifted throughout the documentary to the end where the people in the town, like the fans Um, there, there's a thing like in San Diego, for, for instance, San Diego comic con is coming up. A lot of locals do not like San Diego comic con because of all the people coming in. And that's a very large city. So, I liked the shift from, cause some people were like very confused in the beginning about, about these fans and who they were. And, and then you get to the view of like, we love them. They're giving us all this economic support and they've built this community and, and raised up our, our community. I think the, the, President of the Chamber of Commerce said that they can. They uh, referred to her as the crazy Twilight girl <laughs> when she first came to town, and now she's the president of their Chamber of Commerce.
0: Well, but uh, but to, to be clear, she she only went to the town because she was such a fan.
1: Exactly. Exactly. She decided to
0: move there just because it was Forks.
1: Kind of like Crazy Ex Girlfriend <laughs> moved to West Covina <laughs> because of Josh Chin. Uh, but they accepted her and she's the president of their their chamber of commerce now. And I did like that there was the guy who admitted that he was a jerk about about Twilight and he didn't like it and didn't like fans of it and then he met his wife at the the event there.
2: Forever Twilight in Forks Festival. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Like you said like oh like they're taking it too far says the group of people with like the the Batman tattoo Mm -hmm. that covers his entire chest Mm -hmm. and the one sitting in a Captain America chair. How comfy is it, though? It's so comfy. It's good?
1: (laughs) The the up-down lever doesn't work, but they're sending me a replacement (laughs) part, but it's still so comfy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I like how at the beginning you're like, I think at the beginning it makes the point, unless I'm completely making this up uh, and I read it in a separate article, but it said twiarts aren't any different than other geeks like yeah you're just so passionate about this thing and i think you know a lot of it is what is what lauren said at the beginning uh but it's a group that i can absolutely relate to even though i've never read the books i've only watched the first two movies it's one of those things where i'm always like damn i want to see a third one but i should rewatch the first one because i can't remember it <laughs> and then i re- start rewatching the first one and then i, d- I never get to three again i've done you that a few times you need to
1: binge all five movies five movies yeah. five yeah, Five, this, right. The last Breaking book Dawn got is split is two, into right? two.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe I saw the third one. I think I got to three once. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I need I need to binge them all, definitely. But I can I can relate so much to to the group, and I don't know. It's just such a cool story. The way that uh, it's like apparently Stephanie Meyer just looked for the place where it rained the most. <laughs> she just straight mm-hmm.
2: up googled like most rain in U.S.
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And that, 10 years later, transformed this small town. And I don't know, it's like, oh, I pictured it this way, right? When she finally saw the town. And mm-hmm. the town just completely embraced it, and people started coming by because they were such big fans, and a festival started. Like, all of that stuff, I love it. And then all of the interviews with the individual fans, what it meant to them, um, how much they loved it, It was it was so good. And the cosplayers surprised me when uh, there was someone saying like oh i, m- I met this person with i was like oh this person is basically like a real life jacob and she kept asking him questions and his answers were all exactly like jacob and then she realized oh he's he's cosplaying playing the character <laughs> yep. yeah he's, he's playing, playing the, character. the
2: character yeah i love i loved seeing the the cosplay stuff mm-hmm. um <laughs> i wrote in my notes hardcore cosplay Uh, because I'm like, this is dope as hell. I love that, like, you could see how excited they were to have original costume pieces, being Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I I went to an auction specifically to get this, you know, this outfit that my character wore in the movie in that one scene, and now I'm wearing it. And it's like, that is really cool to see, you know, things that, really help make a movie the costuming and and the character design and all that stuff and seeing people really really cherish that aspect is it warms my heart
0: now this kind of thing happens at disney oh yeah you see where there are hired actors in like elaborate costumes playing these roles and in the new star wars land it's taken to an extreme like there are people, there's like a story playing out and you can talk to different people and they'll give you information about a mystery. And it's, it's, it's. but it's exactly this. It's like, this is what's happening in Forks, but this is entirely run by the fans. And there was one part where they said, part of what makes this all special is that most fandoms don't have a real place. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, I took that as a note. Um, Harry Potter fans and Star Wars fans don't have a real place to go, but Twilight fans do. I thought that that was, like, such a cool insight of, like, yes, all of this is, is fantasy and and science fiction and stuff that doesn't exist in our world. But there is something special about referencing real physical spaces that we, as a, you know, regular non-vampire world living humans, <laughs> we can still actually go to that space and, and have that sort of embodiment moment.
1: Since this documentary came out, though... Star Wars fans do have a place to mm-hmm. go. It's called Disneyland.
2: Okay, but but uh, you do see the, the distinction between <laughs> Disneyland, which was entirely built for having a Star Wars space, versus a city or a town that already existed oh, yeah. in its own right, was, was not even directly referenced, just name referenced, but then ended up being very similar to what uh, Stephanie oh, yeah. described the city as, or the town as, is like... There's something sort of special about, you know, I'm trying to think of what an equivalent would be, but I don't know that I have a good one. I guess, I mean, maybe like if I went to a uh, like magic and a witchcraft store down in Southern California and it would be like, oh, it's like I'm going to um, Giles's magic shop in Buffy and it's like real Mm But even then, it's not quite the same. It's like, no, there's a whole town. There's people who live here. And they're like, you know, in a movie, they would be extras. But in real life, they're real people.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And again, the fact that the fans created the Disneyland. It wasn't yeah. the other mm-hmm. way. Like, Stephanie Meyer had nothing to do with it. Yep. They, they invited her <laughs> mm-hmm. to come join in the on, the on the fun. I once went to... It was like an artist residency location in Arizona. And... We were. It was a really cool place. We're on this tour, and they. But I didn't know about it. And then, we're, so we're on the tour, and there's all these weird, like, strange buildings. And at one point on the tour, someone says, um, "And actually, these buildings right here were the inspiration for um, architecture in a particular movie." Can anyone guess what it is? And like at that moment, it hit me, and I raised my hand. I was like, "Oh shit, that's Star Wars. This is Tatooine." Like, I'm literally. Standing in Tatooine, like they were the houses where Luke grew up, like they looked just like that and and then George Lucas actually had gone there and was inspired by that and designed you know Tatooine to look at to look like that hmm. and but still, that's like nowhere near what just happened at Forks right mm-hmm. or what has yep. been happening at Forks. It's, oh, I it's think, so cool
1: I think the closest thing would be maybe my friends have gone to New Zealand and gone to the Lord the hmm. Shire and stuff for yeah. Lord of the Rings, but yeah. the people yeah. are not there. But right. it's still, you walk in and the hobbits, and, and there. The, hobbits they're, <laughs> they're, they're, the real hobbit houses are there and you can like walk in and see, I'm jealous. I want to go.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's closer. Yeah, yeah. Especially like, like outside of like Hobbiton, there's still areas that were just open fields that you see in the movie. You're like, whoa.
1: Yeah.
0: I went to, in Hawaii, I saw... Some places where once I was there, I was like, "Oh shit, this is Jurassic Park!" Like they filmed yeah. part of Jurassic Park, I can tell. Yeah, but still, not the same thing.
3: <laughs> no. I'm remembering the last time I was in Chicago. I went around to a few of the spots where they filmed The Dark Knight, and that was kind of cool. But yes. it's not like being in Gotham City, you know? Yeah. That would be different.
0: Yeah, yeah. O'Connor once, like, I was, I was with him, and, and he basically took me on Batman tour. He's like, do you recognize yes. this part? Mm-hmm. Do you remember what the Tumblr did here? <laughs> I was like, I do, I do. <laughs> Yeah, oh man, yeah, and then like like we said, like Forks embraced these these fans, and it it's become this um, pilgrimage for some people every year, and and throughout the year, right? Like people are visiting the the community was uh, it's a a lumber, it's mm-hmm. a what do you call that?
1: A logging town. Logging
0: town. Logging, ta- Log- yeah. logging town. That's it, right? It's a logging town, and the recession hit, and they said that they were one of Three Four. rural towns Four. in all of all of Washington that like didn't go under like that mm-hmm. they actually survived and did okay and now they're thriving. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and they attribute it to that kind of tourism coming in. So all those things are like really positive aspects. But I really like the again like the personal stories, the people who were uh, talking about the cosplay and saying like what these characters meant to them and how much it means to them mm-hmm. to be able to play these characters for other people. There was talk of mental health, right? There are people who, Mm -hmm. and I I love those stories where someone who uh, has social anxiety, like crippling social anxiety, but something like this can help them start to practice meeting other people and and socializing. I I love stories like that. And again, you don't always have a location and technically you don't have to pay to go to Forks. Like you have to. Mm -hmm. Maybe get a plane ticket or rent a car, pay for gas, but there's no entry fee. Yeah, there's no entry fee. Sodas aren't $8, you know, or or whatever they cost at Disney. Mm -hmm. How much is a soda at Disney? $20? I
1: don't don't know what eh, the. How much
0: is green milk? At Disney. That,
1: I don't An know. An ounce of your blood. <laughs> Although oh I, would pay the, I would pay that much for the new Star Wars sodas. They're actual s- custom soda bottles for Star Wars. So,
0: so like $30.
1: <laughs> That's probably like $30. i am sure they're going for 50 on eBay. <laughs> well,
0: there's none of that at Forks. There's <laughs> probably a little bit because mm-hmm. you might as well take advantage. The Bella bit.
2: burger might be a little more
0: expensive <laughs> really? than
2: the other burgers.
0: <laughs> than the cheeseburger, yeah. You're yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, that
2: that was another cool aspect is um, they basically created a – it's sort of like, you know, you can go on Etsy and find all sorts of cool handmade items and jewelry and clothing and stuff from various fandoms. But it's like online, but having a physical space to go and seeing a bunch of people's artwork and jewelry that they've made and and carvings and Sculpture and all, all that stuff is really cool. I, I loved when they did that little shot of their um, artist alley, I guess. I liked how they had a place called Dazzled by Twilight mm-hmm.
1: before <laughs> Twilight was a thing. <laughs> at, at in Forks and the sign just became even more meaningful and mm-hmm. that the, the president of the Chamber of Commerce has it in her collection. It's pretty
0: cool. <laughs> Now, they did mention some people coming in with cardboard cutouts and sitting with them mm-hmm. at the table. And the lady made it sound like like that person was there to eat with the cardboard cutout. Yeah. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Like, if I'm carrying a cardboard cutout, I'm not going to leave it outside. I'm going to bring right. it in with me.
1: Good point. It might
0: look Good a little point. weird. But, <laughs>
1: but. But if the- they put it in the chair, I don't know.
0: I don't know, but the shop owner was still on board. She's like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's business.
1: <laughs> well, and there's the the girl that was in the the Forks High t-shirt that said that people ask her, "You went to Forks High? Are Bella and Edward there?" Again, she's I'm, like, I'm yeah. assuming those
0: their children were asking this question. Too. I'm yeah. assuming too. She made it sound like grown-ass people were asking Yeah, that.
1: <laughs> She said she was down with it and just like went with it. Yeah, they're here. They're there at the
0: high school. <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely having a lot of fun with it I can't imagine living in a town like that um, I have
3: to admit during that part when they had mentioned how a few years ago people had come in with actual like vampire teeth permanently put on their teeth that was a <laughs> moment for me where I went "Ooh, re- like really you permanently did that to your body for something you're interested in
1: okay, and then on. I
3: slowly <laughs> looked down at my own chest <laughs> and I went, hold on there Mr. Judgy <laughs> Let's slow the roll on that line of thinking because you've exactly. done that. So, yeah. I uh. had to check myself just a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and there are things. Sometimes people, regardless of the fandom, go too far. And I'm not saying permanent, like, tattoos or anything is too far. I'm not saying
0: you went too far, Brandon. That's <laughs> no. not what we're saying. Dry. No. No,
1: I'm referring more to... I like that they have this community because the rest of the world shits on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was there the year at Comic-Con when the woman died getting run over by a car. Uh, And that no fandom is worth dying over. And I don't know exactly what happened, but I know she was trying to keep her place in line because Hall H, where the Twilight panel was is intense and that line and people fight over their place in line for that because you've been staying out all night trying to to see your favorite people your your celebrities the people you look up to and i guess they switched the line around or something and she was crossing the street and they told her not to cross the street but she wanted to keep her place in line she got hit by a car it's not worth it i I feel like it was really messed up for everybody to just dump on her i could heard people talking about it all the rest of comic con and the way they were talking about that stupid lady, and uh, why would you do that? and uh, I agree it's not worth it, but also the woman lost her life like mm-hmm. don't don't be so judgy, don't be so judgy, don't be so judgy. that is our next tagline. Yep. Don't be so judgy, put
3: it on a t shirt
2: yeah, yeah i um they they did talk about that comic con. Um, and and the woman who was killed, and the just sort of like general hostility at Comic-Con for having something that was outside of the uh, perceived typical demographic of Mm Comic-Con, and and having it be specifically for young women and young moms and everything is like, there was there was so much hostility there. And obviously, that's awful. But I do think that that's very much impactful in how the whole thing with Forks ended up turning out is that this fandom, not only were they bonding over their, like, shared obsession of this book series or movie series, they were also bonding over, like, <laughs> being bullied by a bunch of other people mm-hmm. and, yeah. and like, facing the same kind of hostility in their life from others that, like, just didn't get it. and And... We're so unwilling to even try and get it that it's just toxic. And there's something, you know, nothing brings people together more than being like, hey, uh, I got shat on all day about this thing I love. It's like, I got shat on all day about that thing I love too. Did we just become best friends? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't completely agree with the idea that like geeks uh, all come together because the rest of the world shits on them. I don't I don't think think, that's the
2: reason but I think that that is a big bonding element I think it is a bonding element I think people who if you know if you didn't have any friends at your school who liked twilight and you went on to a twilight forum and you made friends with you know people who lived in a different state and then you got to meet them in forks when you went to the festival like that is that is some deep level bonding through like (laughs) shared (laughs) getting your feelings hurt about stuff that you like.
0: Well, well, there's two, there's two ways to, to, to see that, I think. One is, I am purposely like getting away from the people who don't like what I like, and I'm going to go meet with people who have that shared experience. But I still think that for the most part, it is people coming to celebrate something together. Okay. And the saddest mm-hmm. thing about uh, San Diego Comic-Con is that is supposed to be the place where you go to celebrate the things that other people and other places will not accept you celebrating to that extreme. And to have that happen to Twilight fans there is so sad. Like, typical tribalism and, and you mm-hmm. know, uh, in-group fighting. And, like, so the geeks are a majority here, so we need to find a smaller group of people to, to pick on. And that's messed
2: mm-hmm. up. Well, and also anything that women like is lesser than. Especially teenage girls. Yeah. Especially. Especially teenage girls.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you have forks, right? You have this place where you don't have to worry about that. I mean, technically, they did say that even there, they yeah. still experienced some of that. We
1: got yelled out, at out car windows them. and mm-hmm. stuff thrown at them. Yeah.
0: Sounds like, yeah, like my experience at going to New York Comic Con was, oh, yeah. Like, that's horrible. Like, because now it's way easier because when was the last time you were there, Lara?
1: The year that I met up with you, I think that was 2013.
0: So since then, there's a train that goes right to the convention center. They extended the seven line, but that wasn't the case. So you had to walk like two avenues to get to there from different train lines. And so you see all these people in cosplay and their t-shirts and their hats walking these avenues. And just like people were just vicious, horrible, horrible, horrible. It was so messed up. And sometimes that you had to walk because... With your costume, you couldn't fit in a taxi, for example. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that. That's kind of messed up that that happens there too. But overall, I, I freaking love this story. Mm-hmm. And there's this one uh, thing that Roth, the the, the host, uh, says that I guess I didn't get because I haven't finished. I never finished the story. But and Lara, maybe you can you can speak to this. But she said that it is a story that ends in a very positive note mm-hmm. in the sense that the lead female character basically wins and gets everything that she wanted.
1: Right. She's a badass and, and gets everything. And get, throughout the whole series, you're hearing, you're not going to be able to have your friends. You're not going to be able to have your family because she wants to be a vampire. And she gets to keep everything in the end. Hmm. And that's hmm. awesome.
0: Yeah. And I guess it that's, that's a special part of, of the story and why it resonates with so many people.
2: Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a power fantasy, but it's focused on the fantasy of, of having stability in your life, having safety, having love. And, you know, those are all wish fulfillment, but um, it's not what you typically see expressed in Normal power fantasy movies or young adult novels or whatever, and so I think for a lot of people it resonated because of that. Because you know they didn't feel aligned with you know like the post apocalyptic girl who starts a guerrilla army to take down the oppressors. It's like that's a that's wish fulfillment power fantasy too, but it's not what what they wanted. It's not it it's not their wish fulfillment, and so it's really cool to see different kinds of stories like this where different kinds of power fantasies are expressed and different types of wish fulfillments are granted in in narrative and I mean I I I think once you frame it in that way it's sort of hard to make fun of people anymore because the realization is like oh like (laughs) your wish fulfillment is that like your life is nice and Mm -hmm. that you're happy and in love and you have a family that loves you. It's like, wow, are you are really going to make fun of somebody for wanting that? It's like, Yes. Mm, no, yeah, I'm not. that's supposed to be the American dream. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> that's the part that hit me the most in the story because I was like, oh. So then apparently there aren't that many stories written for women by women starring women that end this way. This sounds like it may be That's why that's why it's special to so many people. And I didn't get that until I saw until I saw that documentary and I like that they they kind of left that towards the end
2: yeah I think I think that that is a a story that you can find in other places but it doesn't necessarily show up in um like fantasy what it like urban fantasy I guess is what it's usually called when it's like modern day vampires and werewolves um, because those tend to be more focused on like actual like physical power and Fighting and murdering and survival and mortality and all that stuff and this is more just like hey, it really sucks to be alone and without purpose and when you find people who like truly love and support you and and like help you find your own purpose and you feel fulfilled because of your relationship with them.
0: but like, it still has a lot of those fantasy elements though right and it still has action sure it certainly
2: has, certainly' yeah.
1: it's, not,
0: it's not a fairy it's not a Disney fairy tale. it's not Cinderella. Yeah, There's werewolves and
1: vampires fighting. There's a big battle scene in the end. There's baseball. Yeah, there is baseball. (laughs) baseball but but thunder and lightning.
2: The big big exciting ending isn't like Bella rips the bad dude's arms off at the socket and then like busts him in half with a samurai sword (laughs) and everybody cheers. It's like, no, I get to live happy with my family and I get to still spend time with my dad even though I'm a vampire now and All of that stuff is like I get to be with my I get to have my best friend who is in love with my daughter. That is still very weird to me, but you know what? Okay. (laughs) You know what? They explained it, and
1: they're friends for now.
0: (laughs) I accept it. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Me too. I didn't know the ending. Now I do.
1: (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. I like that we've still been kind of vague about it. Like we didn't really go into all the details, but Mm -mm. but at least you know, you know it's a happy ending. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 I like it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> all right, so definitely, I mean, it it affected me. I really liked it. I liked that it was, you know, a very positive look at a fandom that that often you hear like gets shit on a lot and mm-hmm. like I'm jealous of forks, right? I'm jealous of having that place uh for all the reasons that we talked about before. It's pretty cool. I'll 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 try to put a link I say I'm going to put a link in the show notes. We'll see if I remember to do that. But uh, it's on YouTube. It's um, on the Fandom YouTube. It's Fandom Uncovered: Twilight Forever. That's a title, but it, I don't think that's actually like the title of the video. <sighs> YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll put a link uh, for that. Any other? Any closing thoughts on the documentary or on or on Twilight?
3: I think it's a documentary that's worth watching. I had a similar yeah. reaction that it was just. It was a nice, feel-good documentary, for the most part. It highlighted (laughs) some of the trials and tribulations of Twilight fans, but really showed how a really neat community grew out of that. And I thought that was pretty neat. And frankly, I I had forgotten how negative people were about Twilight um, as a fandom and towards Twilight fans. So it was It was interesting for me to kind of revisit that because I I think I had forgotten that. So yeah, I think it's worth watching. Really good stuff.
2: Yeah, I guess um, my final thoughts would be, um, yeah, it's a real cool documentary. If you've got 25 minutes, you should definitely check it out. It's interesting. It's um, well edited. But honestly, what what it makes me think about from my um, media psych background is I wonder how much of... It's extreme popularity and then the hostility towards it is um, a product of when it came out and when it got popular because of you know what what was going on in America during 2008 to th- 2012 when when the books were huge and the movies were coming out and how how much people would relate to the idea of you know very, uh, warm and fluffy wish fulfillment narratives instead of like big bombastic murderous wish fulfillment and having it be like i want (laughs) what i want is stability because 2008 i don't have stability please um but i i wonder uh i wonder if it's just one of those things where it happened at the right time, or if there is a, a potential for going forward, is like, oh hey, the t- the small town I live in <laughs> is sort of dying. I'm gonna write some like a sappy romantic young adult novel, and it's gonna get so big. I'm gonna save my town. <sighs> Could be cool. Could be cool. Could be cool.
0: Could be cool. well i'm also jealous of the documentary like if geek therapy had money we would do things like that those are the kind of stories i'd like to tell (sighs) i'd love to do that but thankfully thankfully it's 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 happening oh we don't have to we don't have to make that one anymore that one's made i'm very happy (laughs) all right so we're gonna take a quick break and come back with some a new segment about tweets i don't know what it's called (laughs) Consider this your invitation to Geek Therapy's Discord server. We've got channels for probably too many things, but it's great and we'd love to have you there. Go to geektherapy.com Discord to join and chat about games and other stuff you care about. Again, get your invite at geektherapy.com Discord. And we're back with another new segment this season. Tweet Town! Game- <laughs> tweet Town! Oh, there it is. I like it. Choo-choo, taking the train to Tweet Town. Ha! <laughs> I'm not even going to say everything else I was going to say. It's called Tweet Town. Welcome to Tweet Town.
1: <laughs> and I say I'm bad at naming things. Absolutely
0: Who, said, who says that? Who says that? I do. Did you? Okay, so, so Lara just relaunched her blog, right? Mm-hmm. This, this is the blog we wouldn't have met without this blog. Like,
1: I know. And I let it die.
0: I know. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time, but it's, it's been revived, your zombie blog. It's uh-huh. called Therapeutic Code hmm I like the name. Did you come up with that name?
1: My wife came up with the name. Mm,
0: I knew it. I knew She's that.
1: she's a punny person. Yeah. So she named it. She also designed the logos.
0: What is it? So what's the what's the, what's the so the pun is supposed to Just be? Just like what it's exactly?
1: a pl- it's a play off of the Konami code, mm-hmm. which is why the tagline is a psych plus geek combo.
0: You, I think you had to explain it twice and mm-hmm. probably st- some people still are like huh really
1: yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah yeah I still like it
0: but if you see the logo it's like it's written like konami so yeah yeah yeah
1: and my business card for it has the the logo that looks like konami and then lines like in the back of the old game booklets the mm-hmm. instruction manuals where there were lines you could write on pretty cool
0: cool well I'm glad one of us is blogging So, um, I found two tweets on online, and uh, I thought they were interesting. So I just wanted to bring them up real quick. The first one is from the actress Evan Rachel Wood, and I saw a lot of back and forth on this. As I usually like, usually on Twitter, you know, you see something when it's already when people are already angry. Yeah,
1: to, of course. Yep. Yep. <laughs> when it's go, trending, yeah, and it's yeah. been retweeted a million times.
0: Oh, I've yeah. seen this. Yeah, it's like <laughs> seven layers down, so I had to go seven layers back up to find the original tweet. But uh, so Evan Rachel Wood, she commented on Stranger Things, and she said, "You should never date a guy like the cop from Stranger Things. Extreme jealousy and violent rages are not flattering or sexy, like TV would have you believe. That is all." And you know, the internet being the internet. You know, people piled on to that and she came back with some good stuff and and it was quite a conversation. But I bring it up just because this is like the media matters that we're always talking about. Media matters. This is an example. We can use that either for good or for bad. That's a bad one. Like that is definitely something that I did uh, not like about uh, Stranger Things season three. So I'm glad that she was like putting it out there. Like, no, Mm -hmm. like, look, this, this media example Please, if you see that, makes it feel weird, take that as a as a as a lesson.
1: And it's like we say, Josue, that negative examples even give us a chance to talk about it. But yeah. somebody has to bring the conversation forward and she has. Yeah. And people are definitely talking about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. definitely like I've seen that asshole in real life. You know?
1: <laughs> and i yeah.
0: and I and I've seen the girl be like, fine, I'll go on a date with you. It's like, oh no, why? Why? Don't do it. No, stop.
2: Yeah, yeah, I do. I also think that it's important to have this conversation be coming from somebody with a lot of uh, clout. Mm-hmm. Followers, in, in you know. film some... and, and TV.
0: Yeah. Did you see one of the responses? One of uh, Someone responded to her and she, then she responded to that. That's how I saw it. It was like, oh, the character that you play in Westworld killed a whole bunch of people. So like never date a woman like that or she might kill you some stupid thing like that mm-hmm. and then she came back it was i don't remember the specifics now i guess i could look it up but it was it was something like in in that story she's been a victim for many years and she's trying to fight and like leave this place where she's been in prison for many years so it's like why are you even comparing these two things you fucking idiot it was <laughs> it was pretty good i liked it i liked it mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just I think it's important to and especially Evan Rachel Wood has already had she's already been using her her celebrity platform to talk about this kind of stuff and unhealthy power dynamics and relationships and uh, emotional abuse and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's great that it's being talked about at all. But I think it's also really important that people with um a lot of social capital are the ones who are like, no, 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 we need to actually talk about this. It's it's fine if you use it in your media, but examine it. And that's what I'm all about.
0: Yeah, no, it was good. It was good to see it coming from her. And then it was good to see people talking about it. Mm-hmm. And that's been like a big critique that I've met, that I've read about this season of Stranger Things, which is good. It seems to get pointed out all the time. Are we did we spoil anything for you Brandon with certain nope. things? You
3: caught I am I'm, f- I'm 4 episodes in. So I did okay. read the tweet and the thread and then I saw one spoiler and I was like, "Eh, I might not read any more replies." But <laughs> <laughs> even, that's enough. Uh, yeah, that's enough. Um don't, you, don't read the replies. <laughs> don't do it. Nah, I I read a few, but then like I said, one spoiler and I was like, "Okay." But um even in the first 4 episodes there's there's plenty of examples of this mm-hmm. where yeah. I was like, This feels gross. Um, So it was it was good to like see because I have kind of intentionally not read any Stranger Things commentary. So it was nice for me to see like, oh, good, people are kind of talking about this because this felt really weird to me and I didn't like it. So I'm glad there's a broader discussion happening, even though it's happening without me right now, um, for the sake of story spoilers, for better or worse. But
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I, I figured I interpreted your silence as I haven't finished watching this season yet. <laughs>
3: you are spot sure. on. I
1: haven't, I haven't watched the second season yet. We're behind, or way behind.
3: Yeah, first time.
0: It's the first series I've, I've binge watched in a very long time. It was, uh felt good. It's like it's like, it's a perfect time, like you know, Fourth of July. Netflix, mm-hmm. they know they know what they're doing.
3: Oh yeah. So far, it's a pretty <laughs> solid season too. Not to turn this into Stranger Things review time, but.
0: I liked it. It's I fun liked to it a watch lot. so yeah. far. Yeah. It's my favorite it's, so far. It's um, yeah.
3: I would say that it gets to the action pretty quick this season. It feels like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I want to know when you finish it. what do you think? Mm-hmm.
3: There'll be lots of, well, there's lots of D and D references too. And I, you know, I'm always prone to those. You're
1: always about the D and D reference.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. And so there's another tweet that, that caught my attention. Tweet town. Such a good name for a, for a Such second.
3: Such a good name. <laughs>
1: We're in tweet town now, It took you like
0: less than three seconds. It was amazing. Yep. Oh, all right. So this one is from at adult underscore witch on Twitter. And I thought it was real interesting. So I'm just going to read the whole thread. And then I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. She says, I'm so tired of games where mental illness is a big metaphorical shadow monster you run from until you find the inner strength to defeat it instead of a real diagnosis that characters name and learn to exist with. All mental illness isn't the same. Name the specific illness you're depicting. We don't need epic stories about battling mental illness, we need representation of characters who live with it. You can't fucking kill depression by singing magic at it or whatever. The typical video game framing of collect the self-esteem coins, unlock the just-to-be-happy weapon to fight the sad monster is both unrealistic and also not what living with mental illness looks like. And I say this as someone who takes meds every day. And those meds definitely did save my life, but I haven't beaten my mental illness. It is something I live with every day. I have strategies for dealing with it, but it's not a puzzle you solve and defeat. Part of the problem is staging mental illness as the primary conflict in the story. What I would love to see instead is stories about people living with mental illness where their illness is not the whole story, is not their entire existence. And it continues further on, but I think you get the gist of it. I think she's
1: calling out Greece, like specifically.
0: Uh, so there's a brand new game called Sea of Solitude. Yeah, which oh, okay. is the one I believe she's referring okay. to.
1: Yeah, I think she's talking about Sea of there's, Solitude. because yeah. I mean, there's a lot of the same themes in Greece too. Mm-hmm. But also,
0: so, yep, Celeste, yes. Greece, mm-hmm. yep, and they come up in comments in uh, in, uh, in later on in replies to to that message. But I thought it was interesting to to talk about. I'd like to hear your take on that. I have I have I have my own, but uh, what do y'all think?
1: I think there's a place for both types of representation. Uh, some people can't handle the direct, like, let's name the disorder and talk about it. Some people need something more metaphorical to be able to evoke a feeling or or be able to even begin a discussion because of the way a game or a book or whatever made them feel. So th- there's a place for that, but I also understand the frustration because for some for other people they need the more direct approach, and there should be uh more games that that come directly at things, but I don't see characters running around in a game yelling, "I'm depressed, I'm anxious i'm people don't necessarily do that, so there's you gotta have the uh, have someone writing their story in an authentic way and being able to name those things without i don't know making it weird and having someone just randomly blurting out their diagnosis to the world.
2: <laughs> I think I think that's a really good point, Lara, because um you you use the word authenticity and I think that that is a big big point. Um when you when game developers are are making and designing games You know, you want the biggest audience possible. And so getting really specific about your personal mental illness is not going to necessarily reflect with everybody or even with everybody who has your diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I I see that there is like – this sort of balancing act between authenticity and and something that can be universally accessed by people but i think you're totally right that we 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 should have both we need both and there's definitely a lot more video games that are metaphorically fighting and defeating mental illness than metaphorically learning to accept and live with mental illness right um which we definitely need more of, but it, it honestly, like reading reading those tweets and thinking about, um, I haven't played Sea of Solitude yet, but I really do want to play it. Um, but it reminds me of the movie The Duke. And part of why I loved that movie oh, so the much Baba Duke. <laughs> is because, uh, spoilers alert, the, the mm. ending concludes with not defeating the monster, but accepting the monster as part of your life and figuring out coping methods for dealing with having that monster in your life. And and I thought that that was really beautiful. But I don't know that that movie would have been as impactful if I hadn't already watched a ton of horror movies that were straight up like defeat the evil monster that is representative of mental illness. Mm hmm. So I think, I think honestly, it's just like we need another, you know, 15 years of video games being made, and hopefully the it'll get a little bit more balanced where we'll have direct naming, you know, the disorder or whatever, and then also, like, metaphorical, poetic expressions of something that's maybe a little bit too personal to be personal about.
3: My reaction was really very similar and in line, too. It was very much of two minds... Where on the one hand, I, I just very much validate that experience and agree that there's such value in specific kind of accurate depictions of mental health or mental illness, um, both that show people who might be struggling and, and learning to live with it and develop strategies for coping and continue to function effectively despite struggling with mental illness. And and I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's certainly something that I've talked about in the past in other mediums, specifically in regards to more of film and, and less video games and things like um, Split was the movie I was thinking of that used mental illness really as the primary mechanism or vehicle for the story, but in a way that's not accurate or compassionate or... Interesting, in my opinion. So, I think there's value in, in what this person's describing. On the other hand, like you've all said, I'm just kind of reiterating, but I had a similar line of thought. I think there's a lot of power in metaphors and telling stories in that way. And it got me thinking a little bit about how the person who wrote these tweets, and I can very much appreciate their perspective on what they were saying was almost in a way I could imagine telling some of these creators that the way that they are talking about or depicting mental illness in their medium or in the things that they're producing isn't correct. And it got me thinking about if there are people who are making video games specifically, and I don't know if this is the case for any of the specific games um, that she was referencing, but if they're making those games to tell their story or to grapple with their own mental illness, I... I can imagine a situation where that's almost a little invalidating for them. I'm thinking about, for example, the comic book writer, Scott Snyder, who's one of my favorite comic book writers, wrote a couple of pieces, but I'm thinking of one specifically that was really touching and beautiful, I thought, where he wrote about how he used writing the Batman comics as a way to grapple with and process his own anxiety. And I could imagine a situation where the people who are making these video games are doing the same way. And... It would hurt me, I would think, to have that written off because it doesn't seem like I'm telling it the right way, even though maybe it's my story. And I think part of that maybe stems a little bit from some of my own experiences that are only tangentially related, wherein some of, sometimes in the past, both in a clinical role and I think more so in a research role, I've felt like a little bit like, I I very much appreciate and value the input of people of lived experience um, for like mental illness. But sometimes I've had people in those positions tell me like like look, buddy, you can't research mental illness. You you don't get it. You're not experiencing it. And it's like that's a little bit of an assumption. I I've struggled a lot with depression in the past, and so I think it's it's easy to cast that that shade, I guess, in in all directions. So I think it's just important to be compassionate and. And open minded and let people tell the story in a way that might be beneficial for their own recovery or processing or in a way that's helpful or meaningful for them, I guess I don't know long answer, but I'm hoping there's some points in there
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah no i I agree with that. I think there's also recognizing that um you're not always the target audience. And while if you do have a mental illness, there is some sort of uh, empowerment in, in naming it and uh, making it more realistic to your own lived experience, but um, there are also people who do don't have mental illness. And perhaps using more metaphorical examples are a way to get them to understand something that they don't experience. Mm -hmm. And so sort of, you know, it's uh, putting yourself in a space where it's like not every story about mental illness is for people with that mental illness, if that makes sense.
3: I think that's a great point. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that. Thinking of it more as a vehicle through which to maybe help people who haven't experienced that have some kind of understanding of what yeah, that might be like. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, I'm sort of, I'm sort of
2: drawing a line to to uh, Gris or Greece. I'm sorry, I'm really bad at doing the R. Um,
0: Learn Spanish, Lauren. I, I've got a
2: big dumb mouth. Um, uh, but the idea of the um, if you played that game after like just experiencing. Bereavement in your own life and your own experience through grief versus playing it as somebody who either hasn't or hasn't experienced it in a long time and the difference uh, of what you would take from that game and that game's themes and and the emotions it's trying to get you to feel and think about, um, it dep- it depends on who's playing it. It's not just the uh the developers and designers intent, it's also you know what do they think the audience is going to be bringing to the table? Yeah, that
1: also makes me think of depression quest um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: playing that that game was designed, I feel like more for people who haven't gone through depression, yeah. to learn about it because as exactly. someone who has gone through depression, that was too much for me. I mm-hmm. played and it sent me into a spiral. Uh, And it was not a good experience. It was a great experience to play the game. Like, I think it's a good game. But as someone who had recently been through a a depressive episode, it was not a good idea for me to play right away. Which is why I put a warning on the uh, Geek Therapy library entry for that game. Do not play the game. While you're actively depressed.
2: I think the game itself has, has I a warning in there for that very reason. Yeah.
1: I, and I wanted to make sure that there were multiple warnings because yeah. it's important. The It I also mean, names I think
0: that's, depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's
2: also uh, that's a perfect example where it's um, Zoe Quinn, you know, developed that game based in her own experiences in depression so it's very personal in that way but she has said that it it wasn't really intended for other depressed people to like connect to it was sort of a way to reach out to try and get not depressed people to understand what it would be like to live the way that she was living Mm -hmm. And, and i think that that's you know really important when you're looking at other games like i said i haven't played sea of solitude yet so i don't really know what it's going for but um it may be that it is intended for a slightly different audience than the one that you, the player, fit into and being sort of critical, thinking about that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I like a lot of the points that you're making here because Depression Quest is a simulation more than it is a game. Mm-hmm. So it falls in that car- category of being a very specific thing while also, like, like Brandon said, uh, it's like, oh, that's someone trying to represent their experience. And in the case of Greece, uh, that is a game that spoilers you're playing through the five stages of grief. But I think that most people would play that and not realize that that's what's happening, not get it. Sometimes a monster is just a monster <laughs> despite what the what the artist's intention is. And the whole thing about naming it, that's funny because, she mentions mental illness, right? And now, like, like, the the tweet is a catalyst for for the conversation. But even in this conversation, the four of us have have talked about mental illness, but we really haven't gone into specifics other than in Depression Quest and, and Greece because, like, they're specifically about a thing. We haven't played uh, Sea of Solitude yet. I, th- I think we're definitely going to. I, I want to do a headshots on it. Yeah, but. Mental illness is many different things. My relationship with my PTSD is very much like uh, me fighting a monster. And once I'm ready, I get up and I beat the shit out of it through exposure, and then like I'm in control and I'm and I'm good. But my relationship with my eating disorder and my ADHD are very very different. My ADHD is more like the Babadook, right? Where I'm like, you and I are hanging out, and we're gonna pick our battles very carefully. As we were talking, I was like, it's kind of like a Pokemon, right? It's like, I've got, I've got my Pokemon here, and I'm going to pick my battles, and I know exactly which ones to choose, uh, and, and my ADHD. Like, I, I know what that's like. And each of these experiences is different, and, you know, like, have 10 people with depression, they'll all have different symptoms, and they'll have different ways of describing it. There are a lot of things where we can, where we can say, like, oh, yeah, I experienced that, too. But for other people, it's very different. So to talk about, like... The big bad shadow monster as just mental illness is, yeah, like I think being more specific can be a little helpful. Um, But making it a big shadow monster can make it be whatever it means to you because it can be different things. And depending on the day you ask me, that shadow monster is something different for me. And I'm assuming that that's the same way for most people. And that's why stories with metaphor work because like you relate to it. It it means something different to you even Mm -hmm. at different times. So
2: you project yourself onto it and and give it more meaning.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, you can go through the five stages of grief with
1: Greece, or you can go and and metaphorically, or you can play God of war and go through it literally um, (laughs) and watch it happen. Mm -hmm. So, and it, it's a different it's a completely different experience doing each I cried so much playing God of War playing Greece I was I had I felt and I emoted but I did not cry and and feel like it was more like haunting than like hmm. I'm so sad this kid's mom died <laughs> um yeah
0: yeah 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 because god of War is such a personal story like it's an actual story like that kid is feeling and and kratos too and they're both dealing with it Mm -hmm. in their own way right and they they're not talking about it and then they are talking about it and then you you it's like you're living through their experience and i don't know gris to me is is a platformer if i take a step back and i'm like oh i see what they were doing i see how you're playing through this i like that idea but again like a monster mm-hmm. can just be a monster <laughs> like we have these conversations about like oh that's definitely a metaphor for mental health or depression or anxiety but i still think the general public doesn't see things like that right the, most people mm-hmm. just see a monster they just they just see a platformer they just see a fighting game
2: well i think i think most people see their monster, right? It's like, we're, we're humans are pretty egocentric. So I, I assume in most stories, generally speaking, people's brains are like, how does this relate to me? But what about me? That's a great point.
0: <laughs> the monster could be a bully from school, right? Mm-hmm. The monster could be cancer. The monster could be a, a, right, a physical illness. It could be poverty. It could be so many different things. Right? Mm-hmm. Actually, I've been thinking about this uh, recently. I'm watching Neon Genesis Evangelion and- Basically, it's like kaiju are coming through the city and destroying it. And it was the first time I saw, like, I've seen Evangelion many times. I've seen many kaiju movies, monster movies. Um, what's the, what's the, the one with the giant robots that came out in theaters recently? Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I love this stuff. And it wasn't until watching Ava again that it hit me like that destruction that people experience right after like that was hurricane Maria after like afterwards, like walking outside and seeing everything destroyed and like having everything destroyed for months. It was like, Holy shit. Like Kaijus all of a sudden, like they represent hurricanes for me and climate change and all that crazy shit. And now that's just me watching Ava. Like I'm adding way more emotional elements and psychological elements to Ava than it needs. (laughs) But that's another thing that uh, is adding to my experience. And yeah, it's true. Like you see, you see the monsters that are there in your life and the monsters aren't always mental illness, whatever that is.
1: That's why I said there's room for all of it.
0: I agree. I agree.
2: I mean, you know, there's also like in the case of like directly naming things, (laughs) we are all quite aware of how often um, diagnoses can change (laughs) and the -hmm. names of disorders get changed. And all of that stuff. So um, it can also just be simply, I don't want to specifically name it because I'm not certain it'll still be called this in 10 years. Mm
0: -hmm. Personally, I would never give a monster or a thing a diagnosis uh, or use a diagnosis to name it, right? I would definitely use symptoms, definitely use like more relatable words just for that same reason, right? To make it accessible, to make it relatable, to make like... it's scarier, right? If if 10 people in the room and they're all scared of it for different reasons. But if you just call it.
1: Yeah, because depression and anxiety are not diagnoses. Like if you want to get into the nitty gritty. So um, naming something making a monster and naming it, I don't know, major depressive disorder single episode. Like mm-hmm. that's not scary.
2: <laughs> Yeah, I was I was thinking of like um, bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. and then um, manic depressive Mm -hmm. disorder. Well, which one is it? (laughs) So it's like maybe it's better if we just don't we just sort of allude to it. And people who uh, relate will see themselves in it. And people who don't necessarily relate will probably still figure out a way to see themselves in it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Good conversation mm-hmm hell yeah. yeah good yeah we definitely need to play well at least i want to play sea of solitude and yeah me too yeah and, and do a headshots on it we've played a lot of the other ones here too hellblade is one that comes up a lot in these conversations mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: that game was just not fun it's like yeah let's you know. accurately per- portray schizophrenia i can't do it no thank you
1: yeah. <laughs> i i just listened to that episode of headshots recently oh, yeah? <laughs> and i i, I want to play it now yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: i played like 10 minutes yeah yeah you know it's in v there's a vr mode now yeah.
1: oh no, nope. no 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 no! <laughs> oh,
2: thank you
0: yeah. oh i'm totally gonna do it but no 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 no, no. <laughs> yeah see, oh, see, that's a thing like and, and this has nothing to do with the tweet anymore right just like in general lots of times mental health people want to make a game about mental health and then you just you're just not making a fun thing anymore mm-hmm. then it's just something else it's a good conversation Alright, so that is it for this episode of GT Radio and our new segment Tweet Town Tweet Town <laughs> So good, so good uh, You can find all of our stuff at geektherapy.com In the show notes you will find links on how to reach us, our discord the forum, uh, definitely check out the forum where each and every episode of uh, GT Radio and everything else on the Geek Therapy Network including Lara's Therapeutic blog
1: oh, yeah.
0: You can comment on things there Thank you for listening. Remember to geek out and do good, and we'll be back next week.
2: And be nice to your local Twilight fans. Twihards forever.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters. We'd like to say a special thank you to our Patreon producers this month, Ben, Booney, John, Kat, Mark, Reese, Jamila, and Lydia. To learn more about how to support Geek Therapy and gain access to exclusive content, visit patreon.com geektherapy.